Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Inking Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Rob Santos, joined, as I always am, by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? And today, for episode 114, Drew and I are heading into the final volume of Robert Jackson Bennett's Divine Cities trilogy with City of Miracles. We read for this week everything from page one up until the end of chapter nine, so let's get our weekly recap from Drew. My friend, my brother, my fellow nerd... Where are we halfway through City of Miracles? Yeah, so we are quite some time, 13 years after the events of the second book, City of Blades. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, this book kicks off with an ex-Sapuri ministry operative named Kods, who assassinates Shara Komade. Sets off a basically a like a claymore uh, in in the hotel room next to hers, and uh, basically brings Sigrud back into the fold because he gets the news off in in the boonies where he's uh, been living as a lumberjack and in obscurity under an alias for so long, and he hears about Shara's death, and he's like, all right, it's time. Uh, you know, I've been waiting all this time for her to call me back. This is my moment. So he heads to ah- Ahadashtan, where Shara was killed, does some preliminary uh, investigation, and figures out who killed her, and sets up a stakeout, encounters Cods, fights him, captures him, interrogates him, and discovers, after the interrogation, after killing Cods, there is a new divinity growing. The child of the old divinities, or one of the many chi- uh, children of the old divinities, Nokov, who has been killing his brothers and sisters and absorbing their powers in an effort to become a new ultimate divinity. And Shara was embroiled in a conflict against him, trying to protect the other children from him. <laughs> and uh, and things hit the ground running from there. Sigrid heads back for the first time. We get action on Sapor. Uh, we get to see Galadesh. Uh, Sigrid meets with um, Mulagesh, chats with her for a little bit, and then he goes and breaks into Shara's old uh, mansion discovers some important information there, but trumping all of that is confronted by Nokov because Nokov has agents throughout the Sepuri military and ministry and has figured out how to operate effectively on uh, uh, outside of the continent, bringing continental soil. And he confronts Sigrid and is beating the crap out of Sigrid and is is torturing him, trying to get information until Sigrid grabs his fist with his left hand and it works. And he hurts Nokov and falls through the shadows into Nokov's domain of night before coming out of it back in Ahanistan. He travels from there to the secluded ranch of Ivanya Rastroika, Vohanas's uh, uh, fiance from the first book, and there finds Tatiana uh, in, in protection, not only uh, Rastroika's protection, but many, many divine protections as well. He, he kind of starts putting the pieces together of what Shara was doing and what he has to do. He gets a location for the Salim, 
a ship that is connected to all of this, and he travels there. And there he encounters Malwina, who is another one of the Divine Children, and the creepy-eyed girl that we saw in, in the scene where Shara was killed, and who helped him at the slaughterhouse against Nokov earlier in the book, and finds out that her domain as a Divine Child is the past. And with her help, he heads on back several days earlier <laughs> to uh, Rastroika's ranch so that he can go to Bulakov and do what he needs to do there. But it ends. This chapter 9 ends with a scene with, uh, oh, with Nokov and his chief agent in the world, Mishra, a captain in the Sepuri military. And he creates a bead, a black pearl, that he's going to give to her and create in her his, his seneschal, create an agent who can carry out his will in the world. So, <laughs> on that bright note, let's jump into our style discussion. Yeah. Anything you want to start with? Um. Yeah, let's talk about points of view. We've gotten hey. a lot more points of view in the first half of this book than we did in, in the first two. Uh, the first two books started with a Pitri point of view, you know, while well, we had the Mulagesh point of view and then a Pitri point of view uh, with with the um, the trial in City of Stairs and then Pitri um, receiving Shara and Sigrid into Bulakov. But then from there on out, it was mostly Shara through the first half of the book. Mostly Shara. And in the second book, we started again with a Pitri point of view, delivering the news to Mulagesh and getting her back into the into the fold. And then from there on out, it's pretty much all Mulagesh. Here, we've had a bunch of different points of view. Obviously, Sigrid is still the main, you know, our main character, but we've had multiple points of view from Mishra. You know, we've had points of view from Kods. Uh, we've had points of view from... Uh, Nokov. Uh, yeah, yeah, Nokov. Uh, I, mean, I mean, one-off points of view from other characters. There, yeah, yeah, there's the been a much... teleport with yeah. to anywhere there was laughter. I loved that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, generally speaking, I mean, multiple points of view from Mishra. Um there's there's just been a lot more variety in it, and I think that's interesting. Uh, a pretty dramatic departure from the first book. First two books, really. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I definitely noticed this. It, say, it seemed appropriate. I mean, you know, being the third book of a trilogy, there's not a whole lot of groundwork to be laid. Of course, then again, I could see how you would argue that widening your point of view could help you with the, with the groundwork that you want to lay if that's a direction that you choose to take it as a writer. Bennett did not do this. We had a lot fewer points of view in the first couple of books. It feels appropriate that we're getting more now as the, as the scope of the struggle is kind of coming to a head. Um, I can't even really say I noticed it just because it felt so natural. Yeah, so I, I, say I, noticed I think it, but he... I didn't take note of it. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. I think he handled it well. He did. Uh, I was I was a little curious to see um, once I once I started realizing I'm like you know we're we're two chapters in and we've had like five different points of view already. I was like, whoa, this is strange. Um, and I wasn't sure 
if that meant he was going to try to build like uh, um, character arcs of such scale that we're going to have multiple different through line major point of view characters, you know, something like you'd expect in, uh, you know, the Wheel of Time or a Song of Ice and Fire or the Stormlight Archive or whatever, where you have multiple main characters. And and he's not doing that. Sigrid still is the main character, but he's still creating something of a character arc, uh, especially with Mishra and Nokov. Um, we're we're seeing them, and and he's he's almost laying some groundwork for sympathy, uh, especially with Nokov. You know, we've seen the 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 torture that he went through uh, in the past with Vinya. Um, you know, he's very much an antagonist, but his motives are, of course, as any good antagonist's motives are, they're, they make sense. You know, he's, he's doing what he thinks is right. He says, look, the divinities failed. Sapur is failing. It's time to wipe it all and start over, and I'm going to do it right this time. And it's like, okay, well, <laughs> you're going about that in a, in a pretty evil way, but... Uh, but in his own twisted sense of logic, he's doing the right thing, you know. Mm. And then Mishra, uh, she also is developing a little bit of this sympathetic character arc where she has grown disillusioned with the bureaucracy and, and the corruption in Sepur. And she she's, you know, lost people close to her due to Sepur's involvement on the continent and the way they're handling things. And she says, you know. Yes, I agree with you. We need to change. We need to start over. So, it's it's good character work. And I think it wouldn't have been doable without at least some points of view. So, I like it. Yeah. I'll be, I'll be expanding upon a lot of those points when we get to, to our character discussion, particularly about Nokov. I want to discuss the hell out of Nokov when we get there. <laughs> Um, I, want to, I want to discuss how this, this book, the, the tone of this book, the themes in this book, the way it, especially with how it opens. It's just with Sigrid being our main character. I mean, clearly I was very excited to hear and discover that Sigrid was going to be our final <laughs> yeah. main character because I have been just glowing about how much I love him since the beginning of the, of the first book. But man, it is dark. It's always so dark reading this guy. It's re it's entertaining. It's it's rewarding. It's fun, but it's just so dark. From everything that Sigrid was put through in City of Stairs, and to a lesser extent in in City of Blades until the end, which is a much more major Oof. extent, and now in <laughs> City of Miracles, you know he's he's on the run. He's fighting for his life. He's injured constantly. He's burdened by this world-ending threat. He's surrounded by mysteries and deception. He's freezing. He's starving. He's sick, often several at once. I just crave one chapter, one scene, just just. Just a few minutes of Sigrid with a full belly, his feet propped up with a warm fire, pipe in mouth, beer in hand, book in lap, you know, dog at his feet, something, anything. <laughs> no, as much as I like the character, both as a person and how Bennett writes him, it's it's like Sigrid is Bennett's misery sink. Like We've talked about characters before on the podcast that were clearly hate sinks, like Dolores Umbridge and Joffrey Baratheon, you know, St. Bernard, characters that are constructed to focus and all of your hate and resentment. To me, this is kind of what Bennett's doing, but not with hate, just with, with sympathy, with misery, making Sigrid the most miserable character possible. It's like he's taking this rule of what 
Think of the worst thing you can do, possibly do to your character, and then he takes it a step further. It's like I can imagine him with a clipboard at home or a dry erase board making notations, wondering if he can fit enough misery into Sigrid's life or if he can find ways to fit more misery in there. It's just so fucking depressing. But I do think it's a testament to the strength of Sigrid's character that this doesn't really get boring in any way. And I think that's an important distinction. <coughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah, Sigrid, depressing, darkness. What do you think? I, I don't know. I I didn't get the same sense of of misery and darkness. Like I thought, City of Blades from the outset was a darker tone than this book. Um, in large part due to the setting, Vortjestan uh, was so bleak, and and immediately the culture there was shown to be like violent and. The, not just like the Vortjastani culture, but the the interaction between Sepuri culture and Vortjastani culture was violent and barbaric, and uh, and I don't get that feeling here. Not I mean, Sigrid, specifically from Sigrid, maybe not the setting, but the Sigrid, person. Yeah, I mean, obviously he's yeah he's got major problems, but we've we, I feel like we've read characters who've gone through much much worse. Uh, sure. I, I mean, I sure, but like, I can't, I can't, like, I can't call him a misery sink when I've read Blade Dang. of Taishal. <laughs> right, right, right. Or right. yeah, um, or the Gap Cycle, as you'll see in a couple. Well, these of are weeks. these are smaller, more contained books, though. You know, who knows if if City of Miracles was seven hundred, eight hundred pages long? I imagine there'd be a lot worse going on with Sigrid, just from what I've seen. This is just spec. Obviously, I'm just well, throwing words into the wind. I room, don't think but... length has anything to do with it. I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. Kane had good moments, though. He had moments where he enjoyed mm -hmm. himself sometimes, didn't he? Mm -hmm. Sigrid just doesn't have any of that, ever. The poor guy's always <laughs> miserable. I want to see Sigrid just get, like, a high five sometime. Oh, yeah. I mean, we'll we'll talk we'll talk about that in a little bit. Sure, um, yeah. Uh, Character-wise, but... But no, I, I did not... I did not feel you know what? that this book was as dark or... Uh, but what this book does have is an air of like wonder that I feel like neither of the first two books quite really quite got to. Oh, um, City of Stairs was so much more for me. Go on. Like the, it's really hard to describe um, just the weirdness of what's going on, um, you know, starting off with seeing Malwina, you know, like on, on the street and, and Cods, and he's got like this, this jacket and boots and he doesn't really know what's going on or why things are working for him. And, and then we have the girl that sees him on the street and then suddenly she's up on the balcony. And then like the next chapter we have this, the, the laughing boy. And there's just a sense of weirdness to the world now mostly through the divine children uh that that i didn't get in the first two books and i've really enjoyed it i can't say i'm enjoying the, this book through the first half as much as i was enjoying city of blades um i think i think i i still yeah obviously we're only halfway through the book so i can't make any 
definitive statements here, but through the, the halfway mark, I enjoyed City of Blades more than I have enjoyed City of Miracles. Uh, it, it's it's just a different feeling of a book. Hmm. See, I'm so not that way. I would I would say that City of Miracles, all you know, was 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 dragging a, a little bit with a couple of very notable notable exceptions. City of Blades had all the wonder for me, though the, the the death of the gods, reality itself falling apart. You know, the stars going missing out of the sky in some cases. Like it was really just the fabric of reality itself that gives me Rob Santos that kind of wonder. Where with you, it just sounds like, um, or since it just sounds like it, it, it comes off more as chaos with with the breakdown of order perhaps is that like there's like you've, you've named more uh conflicts happening there you we've have wider points of view we have we have more points of view so would you say this is more like uh i don't know a population thing than it is like a reality thing see for me city of stairs was all the wonder i, I, I like this book i do like this uh, book. see like city of stairs i felt like he didn't use the weird as much there were really what? only a couple of points in that Those book where the weirdness though. came in. Like, oh, epigraphs are, epigraphs are, that's ancillary text. You know, like, for the story, for the meat of the story, in City of Stairs, there's like, you know, there's the one sequence where they go through the fold into Old Wulikov. And other than that, and maybe the scene um, where they discover the the doorway... Yeah, um, in in the heart of Bulikov, Shara's um, huge like DMT trip at the end. Yeah, where she confronts like, two gods. But like other than other than that, like the city itself felt like a normal city. The world felt normal. Wow, it I cannot like, say I felt that at all. So much of that took place in offices and parties and jails, normal locations. Whereas here, the magic is pervasive. Even when we're in normal scenes, magic is intruding. Oh, you're in a slaughterhouse? Okay, well now you're in the past of a slaughterhouse. Well, there's the god of night trying to attack you. You know, oh, you're you're going through, um, you know, you're breaking into a mansion? Okay, well now there are mystical mirrors in the mansion where people are spying on you and, and trying to set you up for assassinations. Oh, you're going to a ranch? Well, the ranch is surrounded with divine miracles protecting it. Like, now, we don't have any normal locations anymore. And every character has something weird going on with them. That that wasn't the case in in uh, City of Stairs or, or City of Blades. I agree with where, the characters. Yeah, the characters like, that I agree with. Like, how, how many scenes did we have just in the Sepuri Embassy? Uh, in City of Stairs, where they're just, like, talking over tea. You know, there's nothing sure. weird going on there. Um, and and the... I don't know. The I remember finishing City of Stairs and thinking that I was a little underwhelmed by the title because the stairs yeah, right, right. were yeah, never I, a thing. You I know? can agree. Like, um, and, and it's like, no, we, we see the miracles. And we saw the City of Blades. We, we know why that... That name exists, and it had thematic importance. City of Stairs did not have thematic importance as a title for that book. But it, now we're in City of Miracles, where there's... The Divine is everywhere. And that's why it feels so much more wondrous to me. I think we're going to be surprised... <clears throat> pardon me. I think we're going to be surprised by the nature of Bulikov 
itself. I think there's more to happen, still mm. more to mm-hmm. happen there in this book. And I mean, Bulakov itself is the central city. I, I believe there are like per square foot, probably far more miracles there. But you're right; we're not, we weren't seeing them as much. We were more contained in our locations and city yeah. stairs. Eh? Yeah, yeah. I fully expect that in the second half of this book, we're going to get a completely different sort <clears throat> of Bulakov than we did in City of Stairs. Yeah. Um, style. Uh, more style. I have like two or three points, but I'll give you a sure. chance to bring something else up if you like. No, yeah, go for it. Pardon me. I'm coughing quite a bit there. Um, okay. So we've talked about this on every single Divine Cities episode, I'm pretty sure. And I'm going to continue talking about this again. It's our second last time. No worries. Predictability. It's Bennett's predictability, or maybe his his tendency to be predictable, he's sort of spoiled his books in just a small way for me. Just a small way. Overall, I'm still f- massively enjoying them. But here, something that happens at the very beginning. As soon as Shara is killed, and I'm using air quotes by this explosion, I, as a reader, as somebody who has read a lot of Sanderson before and is now really reading a lot of Bennett, I went, um, nope, no way. Yep. There's some magic trickery going on there. This strange girl was apparently teleporting around, and she was right beside Shara as the bomb went off. She could easily have teleported them out of there. This is the perfect cover, is it not, for a former spy being presumed dead? Could she even have staged her own death? That was my thought. You know. Um, uh, yeah, I. Uh, <laughs> uh, so as as you may recall, you know, the patron who recommended this for me, uh, he's a he's a member of the um, Legendarium podcast Discord, and uh, and so I've been kind of. Yeah, I've been kind of mentioning, uh, you know, giving him updates as I'm reading through. And uh, the night that I finished City of Blades, I was just like on such a reading high that I immediately read the first chapter of City of Miracles. That's how you know and, yeah. and And when I finished it at like, or when I put it down at, you know, um, like 1.30 in the morning, I messaged... Uh, him on discord and i said i immediately do not believe that shara is actually dead that creepy teleporting girl is a massive chekhov's gun <laughs> yeah yeah like same uh, within seconds and, of the explosion same i was thinking yeah uh and and we'll get into predictions a little later but i will say i think he's gotten more subtle with his foreshadowing in this book than uh, he was in, certainly in City of Stairs, um, even better than he was in City of Blades. And, and I again, I think definitely better than it was in Foundry Side. Foundry Side, I still think, is the most like predictable, straightforward book I, I I've read from he, him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd say. I think he's demonstrated the ability to be more subtle with his foreshadowing. But there are things in this book that I feel like are the least subtle foreshadowing I've ever seen in my life. Really? What what (coughs) are you thinking about there? Well, I can't really say that entirely now that we've finished this because we got some information right near the end of this week's subject reading. But it left me more confused than, like, you know, irritated. And I'll get into that later. Um, But still, still just really quickly talking about why I think this about Shara. Why I thought this. Why that impression was so immediate. Um, even before we got to our first secret viewpoint, we had take, 
take this expectation that we had in the first book in chapter two, I think it was with Petrie kept uh, thinking in City of Stairs, the thoughts of our point of view character and how they're kind of mixed to give us this impression as well. I feel like he's telegraphing Petrie in this moment, the obvious bait and switch of, oh, I wonder who he is. I wonder what he's like. Is he going to adjust well in Bulikov? I was watching Sigrid consider Shara's death here in City of Miracles, and it's, she's dead? What about, without any warning? How, what's going to happen now that she's dead? Is her death going to impact the child greatly? I have to avenge her death. I was just, I mean, <laughs> it was so drilled so hard. I was like, come on. I was in that moment. I was like, this, this, she better actually be dead. Cause I'll be irritated if she's not. <laughs> so yeah, that's how I, that's how I feel about that. But again, like you said, we're only halfway through the story. I don't know how these pseudo predictions that we're dancing around here are going to pan out. Mulagesh has seen her corpse, dude. How do we get around that? Uh... But then again, Weirder things have happened in this series so far, haven't they? Well, yeah, and it was as much of a corpse as was left by a bomb going off, like, on the other side of a six-inch wall, you know? Mm, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Bennett, still creative as hell. I, st I do have to compliment the guy and just his sheer creativity. Like, not even just so much in his materials as, as how he chooses to arrange those materials. The idea of Nokov as, as the threat, the culminating threat, the one offspring that could challenge its makers, who embodies the very idea of night and darkness in the unknown, the other side of the coin. And, and you mentioned this, I think, uh, earlier, Nokov's motivations <clears throat> to find all of his other siblings and consume them. It's terrifying. I mean, it's not particularly original, but it doesn't need to be. That's exactly the sort of high-quality antagonist that we need to balance this really engaging protagonist in Sigrid. You know, I think the book just wouldn't work if one was so much heavier than the other. Yeah. Yeah, mm. I can't disagree with any of that. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned the boy who could teleport for, to wherever there was laughter. Oh, and it, oh God, that scene and what we didn't know it was priming us for, this nebulous idea, the concepts of divine offspring in their respective abilities or their domain and we don't know it at the time but we're getting our first glimpse at the villain at the villains in our last volume it just it does feel more polished this book i'll say city of miracles to wrap up my style points feels more polished of course as is natural than the first couple of books particularly city of stairs um uh, still very heavy-handed with his foreshadowing to put it lightly but everything feels tighter it's more concise the distinctions are are more clear and the end is more firmly in sight you know, I, I am excited for what's coming. It's still I'm still f enjoying it far more than I'm exasperated. I will say that. Yeah, I do think it's more polished. It's uh, it it has shown definite growth on the part of the writer. Uh, you know, there were a lot of little nitpicky um, word choice things that I brought yeah. up in previous episodes. They're not really there anymore. Yeah. Uh, I really? I noticed that. I don't know if that's you know. Bennett improving himself or, um, you know, uh, improved editing process, you know, polishing uh, in revision or whatever. Um, but the final product is cleaner than the first two books. It's an enjoyable read. There, There's, you know, as always, just wonderful imagery, um, good use of, of, you know, similes and metaphors, uh, the epigraphs again, you know, you, you, you brought it up. Um, they're, they're interesting. They're good, uh, supplementary world building and in their own ways provide foreshadowing. So it's, it's taken altogether an expertly structured book. Yeah. Yeah. 
<clears throat> um, I mean, if you take my reaction at the end of City of Blades, the second book, I'm not feeling anything remotely like that right now. You know, I was I was a wreck at the end of City of Blades. I was borderline catatonic. That was one of the best endings I've ever read. I think, I I just I, that to me was damn near a perfect book. Halfway through this book, what am I feeling? I'm feeling like. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm interested to see what he's got for me. I'm not feeling anything like that, though. But look, I mean, I was saying the same thing in the first half of City Blades, and look where I ended up in that book. So I'm interested to see what Bennett's got in store. I have faith. He has proven himself to me in the past. I have faith. Yeah, in I, am, I am certainly excited yeah. to see how he sticks this landing. Oh, yeah. How he sticks it. Not if he. I have faith that he will. I want to see how he does it. Yes. I'm ready to talk about characters. Anything else styled discussion-wise that you wanted to get out of the way? God, I'm stuttering a lot today. No, let's uh, let's talk about Sigrid. Okay, so he's still Sigrid. I mean, and by that, I, I, wait, hold on. That sounded detrimental. He's wonderful to read. That's what I mean by that. He's tough. He's exciting. He's got no time for anyone else's shit. You know, he's he's got mysterious origins, still has mysterious origins, a heart-wrenching story, you know, and heart-wrenching motivation, and he's never quite safe or stable. Like, what's not to like about Sigrid? That's everything that makes, for me, a, an engaging character in terms of their pacing and, and just what they do. I just... Sigrid's awesome. Like just every page that he's on, I'm I'm interested in. Yeah, he he's a a strong driving point of view character. Um, he's got certainly compelling conflicts, both external and internal. Oh my god! Uh, yeah, it, it's it's just it's nice. I don't I don't love Sigrid, you know, the way I, I think you do, and I I think probably a lot of fans do. I I like him quite a lot, but I'm not like, oh, this is this character is that like you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I liked Signe more. I wish I still wish she had lived to be the point of view character for this book. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I I still think I enjoyed Shara's points of view more in in City of Stairs, but. Uh, but I absolutely like Sigrid, and uh, he's how do I put it? Like he's a really good character for other characters to shine around him. That's one thing Bennett's done really well um, with all three main characters. I I talked a lot about this with Mulagesh, especially because I was like. Like, Mulagesh is my least favorite of the three main characters, even though City of Blades I love more than City of Stairs. And so far, I enjoyed, you know, comparably the first half more than City of Miracles. Um, but it wasn't because of the main character. It was because of what sort of character Mulagesh was and how her personality allowed the people around her to shine in their own ways. And I think Sigrid has that as well. He, he and Mulagash have a similar temperament, a similar you know, taciturn kind of nature that uh, allows Paige space for the people around them to talk and to express themselves. And I love that. I mean, it's, it's different. It's not often that you get these sort of quieter um, personalities as main characters. Most main characters are extroverts. You know, now that like, you mention it, I think you said the exact same thing about Sancia in the Founders trilogy. Or, I should say, I should say the Reckoners. What am I saying, Reckoners? Oh Founders. my god. Founders. Founders, yes. Sorry. Oh my goodness. Um, oh, I yeah, like you, Sancia. Yeah. yeah, no, no. You, and you 
liked Mulagesh and you liked Sigrid, right? But but you, what you said about Sancha, I think, if I remember correctly, was very much the same. It's it's really the characters around her that have that feel, that really shine brighter, and she allows them to do that. I think you said something very similar about her. I, I do not remember. That was two years ago we covered Boundary <laughs> Side. Um, yeah. And I don't know, I have some sort of, like... Uh, rules set upon me that the moment I finish recording an episode, I immediately forget what I said in that episode. Right, so, right. Uh, <laughs> I can't believe you. Yeah, um, yeah and I agree. Yeah, I, I think I agree with every single thing you just said, yeah. Um, yeah I do also want to say, most of what I've actually, well, that I want to talk about on the front of Sigrid today, I've actually saved for my predictions, so I'm actually not going to have a lot to talk about with Sigrid compared to how much I love this character, yeah. Yeah, I, we're definitely going to have some predictions to talk about in uh, in a little bit. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. About Sigrid and and about other people. Oh, uh, yeah. But, but, yeah, he he's introspective enough, he's inward-facing enough as a character that uh, I like having these like more extroverted characters around him. And, and that provides fun and funny wordplay. It provides... Um, a good canvas for Bennett to work on with a mystery where he's not like, he doesn't have the answers. The people around him who do have the answers are maybe not as willing to talk about them because he is not an approachable person, you know, things like that. They're just, just good character interactions, good character dynamics. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I did also enjoy this, this brief, pseudo callback I'll, I'll call it a pseudo callback because it was nothing like it in uh in tone but this um this callback to this nightmarish night outside fourth in Adeshi where where sigrid in city of blades first started putting together the puzzle of signe's murder and he noticed the blood stain and the smell of signe cigarettes and he looks up and i quote looks up towards fourth in Adeshi and thinks here in City of Miracles, we have him observing Shara's estate from the outside. He sees the river, and how it's the only unguarded possible method of entrance. Hmm, he says. <laughs> these, I don't know what, why I like these moments, but they're so quintessential Sigrid. I like them. Yeah. Nice. He did, like, he says everything with by saying not nothing, but just making a noise. Well, I guess in the first instance, he did literally say nothing. He just thinks. It's just... Bennett lets you put it together yourself. I do like that he he gives us that 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 you know chance. It's it's pretty very it's much pretty witty. yeah. He Bennett trusts his readers. Well, except for one thing I'll get into later, but yeah, I'm not going to talk about that now. Overall, he does. Oh, yeah. oh, Overall, okay. as a general rule, he does. Yeah. Uh, well, I I don't have any more on Sigrid outside of predictions. So same. Um, let's talk maybe Tatiana. Okay, I have Tatiana and Malwina kind of intertwined because I feel a little... Well, actually, I shouldn't say I feel similarly about them because I went on to... I digressed and then I actually decided that I didn't. Yeah, uh, Tatiana. <clears throat> Go ahead, actually, you know, you give us a start and I'll find where I want to jump in with what I've got here. Go ahead. Well, I love her. She's awesome. Okay. Same, yep, she's pretty cool. I won't say I love um, her, but she's awesome. She immediately i mean i loved shara and the way she echoes shara in her demeanor and her interests uh you know i i love that same sort of thing the way uh i i I quoted i quoted or highlighted one bit um uh when when sigrid finally wakes up and he goes inside the the ranch and 
and goes to the cauldron where there's porridge. He turns and sees Tatiana Comade sitting in the corner reading a tremendous book whose spine says, The Rise and Fall of the Continental Copper Industry. She peers over the top with an expression of measured disdain, as if remembering some personal slight he did to her. And I highlighted that and I was like, I love her. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. Like, what a brilliant description. Just that right there says so much about who she is. It was fun. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He Bennett does have these character moments where he just decides, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to explain to you exactly what a character is like, and you're just going to love it. With Ephraim Pangui. I will never forget the way he described Ephraim Pangui oh, the in City of Stairs. With his, with his exactly, that, that that bit of about his hands and how there was never for Ephraim Pangui enough of the world to experience. I was like, oh, he's so good at those. He's so good at those. He but he doesn't always apply it, which is, well, I guess he, he really can't always apply it because not everyone's going to love each description, but I know there is something magical about these. You're totally right. Yeah. And, and I liked her determination. She, she's initially kind of framed, you know, as like a bratty, I know better than everybody teenager. Right. But sure when you take a moment to sit back and think, and especially as you get to know her more over the, the next like two chapters after you meet her, that brattiness is put in perspective. It's a lot more than just, you know, uh, oh, I'm a spoiled teenage girl who wants to, you know, throw daddy's money around and, and go have fun and party and be irresponsible she has like real trauma in her life. And, and especially when you find out that Shara lied to her, like hid herself from Tatiana for her entire life. It's like, of course she's going to be angry at Sigrid because he was part of that life that Shara hid, you know, I mean that that hit me hard when we found out that Shara didn't even, you know, didn't even tell Tatiana what she did. She thought she was just some like bureaucrat who got a lucky break and and became prime minister. It's like no, <laughs> there is mm. her mother was a completely different person. And, and I, I think that resentment toward what, once she found out who and what her mother really was, um, once she discovered that, that resentment is justified. I mean, I would be similarly, you know, pissed off were I in that situation. Yeah. Um, yeah, Tatiana feels organic. She definitely feels organic. She's, she's had, she does have that well-realized personality. Her struggles are totally... Um, appreciable. I shouldn't say understandable because we, you know, she's been through far more more trauma than I've ever been through. Um, but they're they're appreciable. They are appreciatable. I don't know what actually which where I'm going for there. Um, and also, what I love is Sigrid's complete inability to understand them. Like her struggles are understandable, but Sigrid can't understand them, and that's understandable itself when you know mm-hmm. Sigrid. They're so good for one another. They they fit. I love the scene where he's teaching her to shoot. Yes. When they finally got to open up in some small yet very meaningful way for both of them. Like, that's... I just wish I didn't see beautiful tragedy coming. I just... 
there's so much fertile ground there to for for Bennett to rip our hearts out later, and it and it scares me because that was just beautiful yeah. and it was gorgeous and it was perfect. It was pure, and I'm scared for it. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll, I'll refrain from talking about that scene. For now. <laughs> um. Shall we talk about Malwina while we're still on Tatiana? Because I want to talk about them together, and I feel like it'd be sure. awkward to kind of force them together if, if we if we get too far yeah, off yeah, track. Yeah. So Malwina, give it. What do you think, dude? Um, uh, I I want to know more about her. I'll say that. As do I. Yeah. I I thought early on in the book that she was going to be Tatiana. That this girl who keeps crossing paths Obviously. with cigarettes. I was like. <laughs> I was like, yeah, this is this is totally her daughter, right? Like, and it turns out, no, <laughs> yeah. it's not her daughter. They just look the same. Um, but I definitely want to know more. I don't think there's been quite enough with her for uh, for me to latch onto, like to invest in. Uh, she feels a little more like a plot device than than yes. a character right now. Yes, so. I'll, I'll I'll have to wait and see where that goes. <clears throat> yeah. Um, yeah, and then and then everything else I have to say about her, I think, is again prediction territory. So good, good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Makes sense. Can't blame you. <clears throat> so I'm kind of torn between these two. These two being Tatiana and Malwina. Everything about them, um, not 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 as people, like, but how Bennett's handled them originally made me angry <laughs> and i don't know i don't even know if my anger is justified because I'm, I'm i'll explain i should say maybe i'm more confused here than anything else that's what it is everything that we're getting with the description of the girl who teleported to shara instance before she died and i'm still using air quotes for died to <laughs> sigrid's brief glimpse of this strange girl with the upturned nose and the queerly colored eyes where immediately in that moment i pulled out my phone and i wrote hello tatiana you know yeah. So the, the sudden arrival in the warehouse where Sigrid was battling Nokov for the first time, and I was like, Bennett, what the fuck are you doing? Are you seriously? Are you seriously going to try and hide that this is clearly who we already know this is? Are we actually going to play this game? Like, are you going to make me go along pretending that I don't know what's happening already? Like, surely not. I, I can't be right. Even with as predictable as I think you have been previously, you're, you're, you're better than this. Just reveal it soon, please. Who the hell is this mystery woman? Tell like what's going on. Just reveal it right away. Don't make it. Don't make us wait for the whole book to bring us something that we already know. Then he breaks into Shara's mansion. He being secret, and he sees the framed picture, and that and about that girl in Shara's arms. He thinks her nose is a little sharp and pointed in a way that he finds strangely familiar. Yet he can't place it. I was growling and holding <laughs> my book and I just wanted to throw it through a window out of sheer frustration I couldn't believe the audacity of this guy but where I feel like Bennett did precisely what I was wishing he was going to do was when we the lore that we dug up about Nokov there was a divine offspring however whose domain is unclear and was particularly dreaded and feared in the continentals text and he goes on and explains the, the, the lore around this and then Sigrid thinks immediately about Nokov and considers that link. And I was totally disarmed at that moment. I was like, oh. Okay, so Bennett is treating us like adults with more reasoning skills than that of a nine-year-old. But if he can be so outright with this kind of foreshadowing, why spend this long, awkward game of who is this mysterious girl 
following Sigrid when it's just as obvious. I was so frustrated by that. You think that lore was about Nokov? Of yeah. I do think it was about Nokov. <gasps> oh, well, when you put it like that, Drew McCaffrey, now it's starting to smell like fish and look red. <laughs> God damn it. I mean, do you have any more character reports, or could we just go to predictions? Because... I mean, I do. Yeah, just, just, just leave, leave. I'll wrap up my rant for you, okay? We okay. find out Tatiana supposedly doesn't have any divine power, which I highly doubt. Highly doubt. But Malwina is a distinct individual who just looks like her a lot. Enough oh, to be from whoa, what no, I... Oh, no, Tatiana totally does. She had a prophetic dream. Okay, that's Rose Glow's good. Yeah, that was one of my predictions. That's why I said I highly doubt that. I have it here. <laughs> this number four out of five. Um, but they're like twins right they're or like they're both orphans they gotta be sisters at least right yep so well we're, we're gonna get into some some stuff in predictions it's really oh, hard for on. me to my screen just turned off what oh, okay it's back up my, my graphics card does that sometimes sorry go ahead i interrupt yeah, it's there. really hard for me to discuss tatiana and malwino without getting into predictions <laughs> yeah i don't know i just I, i'll uh, just get just my i i I'm not angry anymore. I'm just confused because it's like that's where the path led. I hope not because that just feels like a cheap trick. If that's the case, I hope there's more to this mystery. They're just all right, but okay. I've, I've talked about just I was so fr yeah. I, I've explained. I'll leave the uh, the astute listener to consider it. I guess. Okay. No. All right. I I just I have to say this. What's on my mind before I like forget my how I want to put it. Okay. I I hope, and what I have a feeling is going to be the case, is that through some divine time trickery, Tatiana and Malwina are the same person. Okay, I've considered that. But I'm, I, I'm a little less certain of that now because of the, the scene with you know, on the beach where she sends Sigrid back and it's it's like a big deal that, you know, she sent someone back nine days or whatever it was. Um and so like if if she rewound time would it also be a big deal if she rewound it years or whatever, or if she only rewound it oh you know, a couple of months. Either way, still apparently a big deal. But is it a big deal if it's her, since the past is her domain? Is it only a big deal if she does it with somebody else? Hmm. I would, I would think it's it's what she wants to do. If it's like dependent on the magnitude of the change that she wants to make. Yeah. And then yeah. and then I'm just going to keep going ahead with the prediction thing, because I'm going to actually make this prediction. Okay. Uh, and, and it's funny, because I was going to ask you an either-or question, and then you preempted me and answered a, a totally third thing because you said you thought that lore was about Nokov with the the divine child whose domain was scary to the divinities. I feel like time is way scarier than the night. Well, for to people or gods? Uh, both. But, but, I was going to ask you, is that about Sigrid or is that about Malwina? And then you said you thought it was about Nokov. And I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was about... I right away went to, went to, to I think Nokov. He, 
I think Bennett wants us to go to Nokov. This is no, why I'm yeah, saying well, I, I think he's been better. I think he's been better about his his foreshadowing. He's no, become no, more subtle with it, and uh, in many ways. Because Sigrid, obviously Sigrid is divine in... I mean, we've been saying this since the first freaking episode. Obviously, there's something magical going on with him. And now we have the puzzle pieces, most of the puzzle pieces, to put the picture together. He had this horrible family upheaval that he had to leave his family. And he stopped aging after that. Uh, (laughs) You know, like... Uh, he's, I, I do think, you know, that, that finger of Kolkan thing, uh, he was able to do that from the get go because he was already divine, but it added another layer of divinity to him. And that's why he can fight Nokov, you know? And so it's like, is, is Sigrid (laughs) this divine child who got mutilated and and that mutilation was being like cast out of the continent and that's why he's the only non-continental orphan he's a drayling who's actually you know or is it malwina because she can literally manipulate time and could presumably like destroy the fabric of existence if she got too ambitious and and i think the mutilation in that case could have been well she used to control all of time and they chopped off. Now she can only control the past. Oh, you're so yeah. I mean, okay, you're, we're we're <laughs> we're busting through all like the doors of my or the walls. I should say not the doors, <laughs> but the walls of my predictions and making them merge with one another too. All right. I mean, I still had some about no cop I want to talk about, but let's go right into the predictions. We'll do no cop after that because you have me excited. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. That's that's fine. Staying on on Sigrid, obviously, obviously, nothing has ever been so obvious in the history of fantasy that Sigrid is of divine offspring. Like, there's a reason he survived the journey into Yurov's belly. And yes, that was supposedly because of the finger of Kolkhan, but there's also a reason he survived the finger of Kolkhan. There's a reason he survived the Battle of Bulikov, considering his unique part in it. There's a reason he's able to slip in and out of Nokov's domain and live. There's a reason he's not phased by Malwina's temporal tampering. It seems like Bennett is dancing around it less and less now. He's getting right to the meat and potatoes of it, finally. But it's still just nigh. It's not here yet. And I've I've never been so certain about a single prediction in any book that I've ever read. Ever. Like, not even, <laughs> just take even the lore we got right from the start of the trilogy about the divine oh. offspring being so fortunate and how reality seems to warp yeah. to favor what they needed. Sigrid's in the SS Salem. He's in the, in the wreck. And every time he thinks he's a potentially about to have a fatal fall... Stroke of luck, a hinge mm-hmm. that doesn't break, or a structure that doesn't collapse under his weight. He thinks lucky, very lucky, lucky. lucky. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what could he possibly be besides a divine offspring? There's no argument. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Either either he is divine offspring, or uh, the wheel of time exists in this world, and he is Tavirin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, man. okay, so that's, that's yeah, uh, Sigrid. Oh, I want to get make my guess as to his particular domain. Oh. Okay. okay. I think it's tied with human emotion somehow. Hope, leadership, something like that. Something more nebulous or metaphysical. For one, there's all these stories that we've been hearing and songs referred to since the beginning of City of Stairs about the drailing mm. legends of their lost prince who was to return to them someday or something. Consider that Signe. 
who was his own offspring. And she had all those drailing workers just running down the, and, and roaring in triumph and love, love, defiant love. Now, not that I think this takes away anything from Signe's accomplishments in themselves. I actually think she was just so extraordinary because she inherited her father's genes. Like, that's what, like, I think Sigrid's magical power has something to do with remembrance or hope or unity in the hearts of men. Hmm, I like it. That's I just don't want anyone to think that, like, I'm writing off Signe's accomplishments as, oh, well, she was just, you know, endowed with good genes from her father, divine genes. No, like, I think that's what made her so spectacular in the first place. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Hmm. All right. All right. Predictions? Keep going, man. I'm excited. Um, oh, do I have any more? Did I already get I have all three more. Um... I, I could just keep going. I don't maybe know. See I, I feel like I may have already gone through all of mine. I'll go through mine. We already talked about Shara yours. being alive. We already talked about yep. Tatiana having the prophetic oh dream. We we talked about Malwina and the this mysterious. Okay. Then I'll expand on Tatiana's prophetic dream. Does that sound? Okay. Yeah. Go for it. She's so certain that Sigurd's going to return from his journey, and to quote her, sooner than he thinks. Yeah. My prediction, Tatiana obviously has divine abilities. I, I mean, we've been saying that so far. We, she can see the future. She even has some measure of foresight, perhaps, or like or like the ability to change. What would not like this would not only explain her certainty and her confidence in this moment, but it would also explain how she ended up entirely correct. She was returned um, to a Rob, time. What Rob? Rob. Oh my gosh! How did I not put this together? Right, you're about to put together what I'm about to say. Well, go ahead. Well, no, so. I don't know if I am because I just talked about how uh, Malwina is actually the one they were talking about in the lore and that they mutilated her and chopped out her ability to see the future and made her only be able to see the past. They are the same person. They're just multiple versions of the same person and the divinities separated their manipulation over time into different aspects. Didn't I tell you I might have shaken something loose there for you if I was going to yeah. keep going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, she ended up entirely correct about Sigurd returning sooner than he thought. He was returned to a time technically before he even left, you know? It would also fit together nicely with what I still consider to be her twin sister. I think I still think her twin sister is just separated at birth. To see and or rewrite the past. I can only imagine that Tatiana has that similar ability for the future. That was my prediction. One is past, one is future, and that they are siblings. Now, what you just said is very, very interesting, and I'm, I'm, oh boy, I don't know, I don't know which one I like more, but there's something well, wacky going on. The, they can be mutually inclusive. Like, hey, like, hey, hey, there you go. <laughs> we will amalgamate those predictions for this one. All right. Ooh. Yes, <laughs> it feels good. This is why this, this series is so good, despite the fact that I think I've done more bitching than complimenting, even though I love these book series. I give the first one a, first one a 4 out of 5, I think. The second one, like, 4.8. Mm. Loved it. But I've done so much bitching. This is how you can tell that we love these books, because we just put off half of our character discussion to get these predictions out of the way, and we are super excited about them. And I could tell all that we're thinking about right now is getting back to the rest of this book, finishing this episode. <laughs> Oh, right. yeah. I had a hard so, time putting the book down when I reached the end of chapter 9. All right. Next prediction. You ready? Get ready. All Go right. long. I'll toss this one out at you. Olvos is the key to defeating Nokov. Uh, yeah. Dark... 
God of Darkness, Lord Knight, whatever, Prince Shadow. Fire, Warmth, Light for Olvos. Everything Nokov is not. Also, I want to point out that I noticed KM, that was CADS, right? KM was CADS? Think? KM? CADS, anyway. his name was, wasn't his name like Rockwool CADS? Oh, shoot. Was this perhaps the yeah. Mishra then? Who's KM? Uh, there's, there's really, the identity of KM is, is ancillary. <clears throat> but KM was Oh, yeah, burning. KM is Mishra, yeah. Yeah, okay. Burning letters of correspondence with the controller. Like, disposing of those letters by burning them. Any chance that the literal goddess of fire can actually read those letters? Yeah, I I did make a specific point. You know, one of those scenes where Nokov is talking with Mishra. And uh, and I was like, yeah, they're talking about how oh, I'm, I'm going to... Be, you know, he's like none. None of them can compete with me anymore. I've consumed enough of them. You know, he's like I'm stronger than all of them. And I just, I was like, is Olvos just not gonna step in? Like, really? He's still around. <laughs> yeah, I can hear NWA playing in the background. What's going on? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> She's kind of, oh yeah. I don't know. Like she, I, I still, she has a key part to play. I, I don't think there's really, oh yeah, much to argue in that way. Well, yeah, or much I mean, to argue how about how about this? Okay, hit me. Shara is with Olvos. Ooh. Shara's already been to Olvos's domain at the end of City of Stairs. Oh my goodness, Drew. That's fascinating. I like that. Damn. Hmm. Okay, I, 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 I subscribe to that theory. I will. Um, my last. Because I still have another prediction. My last. Um, you t- you touched on this actually you did already so I'm just going to be elaborating I suppose Sigrid flexes his left hand it doesn't hurt today but perhaps that's just because he feels so cold nobody who has ever read so much of a 10 pages of any fantasy book ever will believe a strange <laughs> detail noticed by a protagonist can justifiably be brushed off as something possible and so mundane there's a hint there I'm proposing that since Sigrid is obviously of divine blood clearly of divine blood he not only survived nokov's domain but both he and nokov left their respective marks on one another with sigrid it was the sickness and the near death that he got from nokov and for nokov he hurt me mishra he hurt me that was the mark of kolkan right it has to be sigrid and and nokov were joined in some weird metaphysical way in that moment and until you brought it up true i totally forgot that he had actually caught nokov's fist yeah, right? with specifically with his left hand. He tried okay, good, to because, interact with his right hand before it, and it didn't work. Good, yeah. because in the scene with Mishra afterwards, this is my last sentence of this point here. I'm so glad you said that, because I said, um, uh, Sigurd hurt Nokov and inadvertently with a mark of Kolokan branded on his palm, and maybe that could be used again in some way. Also note that in this exchange with Mishra, Nokov's hand is mangled. I'd be very interested to know if it was his left hand. So thank you for confirming that for me. Oh, oh, I don't know if it was Nokov's left hand, but it was huh? it was um, Sigrid's left hand that he used that oh. caught Col- uh, Nokov's So for, yeah, fist. for the punch would come from... Yeah, right. so Sigrid was-, was trying to use his right hand on Nokov, and it wouldn't work. And then he used his left hand to catch the fist, and then it did work. 
Oh yeah, because I like the left hand more. is the one with the the mark of Kolkhan. I was gonna say like just the mark of Kolkhan entering, you know, Nokov's domain kind of stained him, and now they're connected in some way, and he feels the pain that Sigrid feels. But I like the way you put it because you're totally right in that the right fist was useless, and once Nokov's hand connected with Sigrid's left hand against his palm, it became that's corporeal. what stopped him. That's very interesting. So I actually will think it's probably Nokov's yeah. right hand. Yeah, it'd be left if there was like this spiritual connection or right hand if it was because of the the clasping the, the grabbing mm-hmm. of nokov's fist oh i love that we can get this deep in the in the in the the lore and the predictions <laughs> it's good stuff yeah. it's good world building look you know we can say all we want about the predictive nature or predictable nature of of robert jackson bennett's writing yep but look it's good enough writing that we're trying to predict it oh yeah i mean i am never not going to be promoting this not promoting this series i should say just recommending this series as some like some he's going to be bennett is going to be one of the first names out of my mouth when somebody's like what should i read Not a oh, uh, first, yeah, but he'll be up there he's going to be the top three probably ever since i read foundry side robert jackson bennett has been like uh, in the same breath as david farland's rune lords for like fans of brandon sanderson you need to read this yes yeah i think that's why we got so uh, intrigued by foundry side in the first place yeah uh, oh, I actually, I don't remember why I picked up Foundry Set. I remember being struck by the cover art and, uh, and reading the synopsis or, or not the synopsis, but the, uh, you know, the marketing copy for it and, and, and thinking, oh, that sounds interesting. And then, um. And then I had like a Barnes and Noble gift card and I was going through and, and buying books that I had put on my TBR and I bought Foundry Side and a Memory Called Empire uh, together. Ah. Yeah. And Both then and then I, purchase. and I remember being in Barnes and Noble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember being in Barnes and Noble and taking Foundry Side off the shelf and looking at it and, you know, to look at the, the cover art again because I really liked it. And then noticing, oh, there's a quote from Brandon Sanderson on the cover of this. Mm, good predi- oh man good yeah. uh good marketing move there i like that yeah so cool. um what what more shall we talk about or do we have to talk about before we head into our uh you know final draft and and really quickly one point about mishra i i don't know what to think about her she's just like she seems like a placeholder someone for nokov to talk to you know Nothing particularly noteworthy about her. I just think, like, I don't know. If I were to guess, I would say Bennett just wanted to instill this sense that Nokov is not just the only individual on on that threat side. Like, he has agents or something. But yeah, nothing about Mishra stands out to me. I'm just like, I find her pretty bland. Uh, I agree with you. Mishra so far. feels like just a bundle of standard motivations but without any humanity behind it. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that mm-hmm. very much. And, like I thought, Cods was a more, um, more developed character yeah. in his very brief time. He was much more compelling, and and that may be deliberate on Bennett's part, since very clearly she's being set up to like get possessed by the knight. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for that moment when when she looks at herself in a mirror or something, and her eyes are just gone, and there are stars in the darkness. 
you know, something like that. But, but yeah, yeah, like it's easier for him to create her as like a blank slate character and then shift her into uh, into this seneschal role rather than trying to build a major character arc and complete it before she loses her agency. Um, Ooh, I just had another thought. Like, like I, Sorry, I'm, go I'm going to not spoil anything, but I'm just going to say, like, think about Foundry side. One of the major characters in there had a an established character arc, and then agency was taken away. For the last act of the book. And that was one of yeah. my biggest complaints about that book. I I feel like we're seeing something similar happen with Mishra here. Only Bennett took a much more um, measured approach to it. Didn't make Mishra a main character. A main point of view character. And didn't give her all of these... Um, you know... Complex human conflicts and dynamics he made her a pretty straightforward blank slate like oh my motivations align with the bad guy okay hmm what see i just had a thought while you're talking there what what if her uh what if what if nokov's seneschal can be obviously can be more than one person what if what would happen if sigrid were to ingest that little nugget of metal and become the seneschal of nokov how would that struggle go like i'm just fascinated by the thought i i have i have no thoughts on that mostly because we just don't know enough about how this seneschal thing works we've never seen another seneschal we've never like we've never had this uh like maybe you could maybe you could claim that Mulagesh was a seneschal of Vortya at the end of. Oh, uh, but but the way they're talking about it in this makes it feel more permanent. Yeah, more at least until death. And and with Mulagesh and Vortya, that was a very temporary thing. So I don't know. I don't. Know. I just. I have Honestly, to kind struggle. of roll with it at this point. The divine offspring that Sigurd clearly is in Nokov. You see what that would happen in that amalgamated being. Ooh, that'd be creepy. Anyway, um, let's see here. Uh, oh, I want to apologize to Mulagesh real quickly. Real quickly, I want to apologize to Mulagesh. Oh. Uh, she says to Sigurd, Her daughter can be found with the only woman who ever shared her love. Sigurd stares, bug-eyed. What? That's what I thought too, says Mulagesh. I never really thought she was, you know, that kind of person. I try not to assume anything, since lots of people have assumed things about me over the years, none of which I've exactly appreciated. Yep. I, I had to stop and say, LOL, LOL, Okay, Bennett, I see what you did there. That was expertly done. Point well made. And I humbly apologize, Mulagesh. <laughs> yeah, I did, uh, I did remember that when... <laughs> Nice. Okay. Definitely had a chuck, okay. uh, had a chuckle when I saw that, and do want to draw a point to Bennett's penchant for witty dialogue, particularly when he ends his scenes. There's that moment that's no that notable moment on Ivanya's ranch as Tatiana storms off after Sigurd answers her question of "Were you a spy?" with something like that, and then to end the scene, we have Sigurd telling Ivanya that she needs to sit down because he's got to lay some stuff on her, and that they should probably do this away from Tatya. Why could this upset her? Mm, something like that. <laughs> you know? 
I like it. He's so good. He he is so good with these dialogue moments. I had mm-hmm. to draw that point and just talk about that. It was, it was a good one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, on that note, shall we head into the final draft? Yes. Let's head into the final draft, and I will start. As always, I'm just drinking water. I am on day 34, going on day 35. No, I'm on day 35 now of not drinking anything at all. Water is starting to get boring. I've started drinking uh, Coke Zero, which is not great for the caffeine content, but there's no sugar in there. Um, but yeah, I mean, my, this, my whole life is water, and it's boring, and it's colorless, and it sucks. Literally and figuratively, but colorless. But hey, you know, it, it hydrates the organs, you know, and I feel great. So yeah. <laughs> that is... there's my bit of depressing final draft for today. How about you, man? What are you sipping on for two? Well, I... Uh... I do have a beer. Ooh. I have a beer from Weldworks Brewing Company in Greeley, Colorado. Uh, one of my favorite breweries. Uh, very, very highly rated brewery uh, in general. And this is actually one of my very favorite beers from them. Uh, it is an imperial milk stout brewed with lactose, hazelnut, toasted coconut, and milk chocolate. Clocks in at ten point nine percent. Ooh, yeah, it's it's delicious. That hazelnut is is uh, very present, but not overwhelming. It's not like too sweet. Um, uh, they they made a so this is this is the second of three kind of variants on this idea. Uh, they did Starry Night. Um, this beer is called Starriest Night, and then they did a barrel aged version of it uh, with their um, their barrel aged uh, kind of main line called Starry Noche, which of course means Starry Night in Spanish. Uh, but yeah, this <laughs> is Starriest Night, and uh, I think it's the kind of that perfect balance that they s- struck. Um, it's really easy to go overboard. You know, with this, when you get into these pastry stouts with the, the heavy adjuncting, with all the chocolate and coconut and hazelnut and, you know, all the insanity. But they were restrained just enough to where you get that dessert flavor profile, but you also get a, you know, a, a wonderful, like, malty, roasty stout base to drive it all home. So, yeah. Mm. And and yeah, so Starriest Night is the name of the beer, and I think it's it's pretty clear uh, where that comes from <laughs> uh, yeah. for this book. So uh, yeah, it does. So yeah, yeah, good old good old Nokov with his star eyes. Yeah, I'm just I'm really nervous right now because I I just I I can almost feel the anxiety. This is our last episode before finishing the Divine Cities trilogy, and so this is our last chance to make any predictions, to get any uh, impressions out of the way before we actually come to the conclusion of our story here. And there's I just I just know in like a day's time there's gonna be a moment where I smack myself in the forehead and go, oh my god, I should have brought this up, and so that's haunting me right now. What is it? I don't know, <laughs> and it bothers me. But I'm, uh, yeah, I'm about ready to wrap up. I had like, I had a little bit more about Nokov, but that would work just fine in an entire character wrap-up next episode. So I am good to end, and I want to continue reading. So take yeah. us out, my man. Yeah, so this has been episode 114 I hope of the Inking Out Loud podcast. Uh, <laughs> yeah. podcast. Um, next up, we will be finishing 
City of Miracles, as Rob mentioned. If you want to support the show, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash inkingoutloud. We've got a whole bunch of bonus content and perks there, so consider supporting the show on Patreon. As always, I have been your host, Drew McCaffrey, and with me is my co-host, Rob Santos. Right here. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye, everyone.